Welcome to another episode of Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your usual two co-hosts, Jay Gilbert. Michael Brandvold is on assignment at Comic-Con with his family. No, he's not. He's goofing <laughs> off. He is at Comic-Con, but he's not on assignment. Um, I want to uh, thank our sponsors, Bands in Town. You can find tour dates and live music events for all your favorite bands and artists in your city. Get concert tickets, news, and RSVP to shows with Bands in Town. Also, if you're an artist, manager, or music marketer, check out uh, Bands in Town Manager. Um, also, HypeBot, our good friends at HypeBot, daily news and commentary on the music business, technology, social media. Uh, it's for music industry professionals, indie labels, DIY musicians. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. And lastly, but not leastly, uh, Banzoogle, a newer sponsor. Uh, Banzoogle makes it easy for musicians to build a stunning website and store in minutes with beautiful themes, friendly support. And if you use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY, you get 15% off. That's MUSICBIZWEEKLY, one word, and you get 15% off. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Banzoogle. Go to Banzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Today, I'm very excited to have uh, a guest uh, on our show, Amber Horsberg. Amber is a music marketing consultant. She was formerly SVP of strategy at Downtown Records. She also writes about this crazy music business. <laughs> Amber, <laughs> welcome to our, uh, our little podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Uh, today we're going to talk about release planning, and it's something that Michael and I talk about a lot. And it's so crucial today because we get so many artists that come to us or managers, and they want to drop something right away because they see some A-level artist do it and have success with it. But you've published a, a lot of things, and we're going to talk about a couple of those that really talk about you know, doing a, a proper setup. And before we get into that, I just want to mention two quick things. One is, you know, the first thing I mention to an artist or ask an artist, you know, when we start talking about a campaign is, you know, what's the narrative? You know, what's the story? Why should anybody care? Is that something that you ask your clients as well? Uh, yeah, totally. I try and help them get to that place too. So I generally, when I start working with an artist, I've got a list of about 21 questions that I ask some variation of um, all of those. But generally what I want to find out is uh, who the fan base is because I think the artist generally knows best who, who their fans are. They're the ones talking to them all the time. They're at shows. Um, but what that also does to me is find like um, – areas for growth and maybe audiences that they're not thinking of. So I always ask about the audience. I always ask about the album and all the EP or the single or whatever. Um, and try and, and that's when I tried to get into what the release narrative is. So like if you start asking and probing around, around the album, so like, is the track sequencing significant? What's, what are the single focuses? What was the hardest part about it to write? What was the easiest part? What do you want it to be remembered by? Um, and then I'll, ask things about kind of positioning and perception too. So one question I find really helpful is like if you were, you know, if someone was to share this um, in a tweet, what what would that tweet be? Or also like what's your ideal headline and in what publication as well? And then I think from there what I'll do is figure out with the artist in a session kind of what that release narrative is. But, yeah, I definitely think that's the, that's the starting point because that is often – 
like the North Star of how of like what all the other marketing yeah. does to ladder up to what that message is. But I generally find it takes a couple of sessions to get to what that release narrative is. Yeah. Unless you're working with an artist who's just like, boom, here it is and this is this is what it is and this is how it's gonna be remembered and and all this right. kind of stuff. But rarely I, I find it usually takes a couple of sessions to get to that. Do you find that the artists or management really know who their audience is because i see three different audiences you know that when they play live they look out and they go oh it's 35 year old women then they look at the streaming data and that might be a little different and then they look at their social insights and that may be a a a little different i'm sure you know you look at a lot of different data points how do you kind of reconcile all of that with the artist I think the artist generally knows who the easiest audience target to talk to is and, um, you know, if they're quite humorous or funny, they generally are nailing like one specific type of humour and then that will be one kind of audience. And so I think – and then also the super fans. They definitely know who the super fans are because they're the – usually the most vocal as well so (laughs) i think they can pretty much pinpoint like who's the most engaged because they're the easiest people to talk to and they're the most they're the loudest um but i think part of my job and any marketer's job is to identify areas for growth and other either you know different markets different territories or different uh, you know age groups or interest categories or um yeah stuff like that yeah so you you've created uh, a couple of uh like google doc shareable spreadsheets that i think are crucial for anybody who's setting up a release and it's you know michael and i always preach you know planning and setup and and that's kind of what they do and i want to mention both of them and we can talk about them individually because they're they're two kind of separate things one is uh, the bases get aces marketing checklist, and the second one is Amber Horsberg's music marketers toolbox. Now the checklist, can you talk about that a, a little bit? And like, first of all, you know, we we should probably talk about your background a little bit because that's kind of where this came from. So what what kind of brought you to <laughs> create that uh, beast of a spreadsheet? Um, okay. So my background, I guess I was, um, the head of marketing and strategy at downtown records. So their roster was very diverse. It was, um, you know, indie rock, pop, electronic, but I worked with artists like Miramasa, um, Coldwell Kids, Mike Snow, uh, Chet Faker, um, Tommy Genesis, Smino. So a bunch, a real gamut of in like very emerging to more established, but within the independent space. Um, and I think I started to notice a few years ago when everyone, you know, there was definitely a shift where everyone was like, we don't need to do albums anymore. Let's just singles, singles all the time. Just put it up, <laughs> put it up. And I think also hip hop at that time was becoming the dominant genre as well. And the culture within hip hop is very much like mixtapes, Lucy's, right. just like um, very fluid. Like I'm in the studio last night, I'm putting it out today kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And I felt like um, what happens in that scenario is that the volume of releases that you're putting out just increases, like explodes, but then you're not getting any more staff or like any more kind of, um, you know, resources. And I think that what goes into releasing a single is very similar if like a lot of it's about 80% of the amount of work that goes into releasing an album too. It's not as if it's just a, a simple thing. So 
I think what happens in that scenario is marketing directors just end up on this like release treadmill where they're just like trying to keep up, put it out, put it out. And when that happens, all you're doing is like just kind of um, checking the boxes and Mm. the thing that falls by the wayside is like creativity and strategy and planning. And so I put the checklist together just to, I mean, for myself too, just to like get my process onto paper and to be able to share that with my team. Um, But then also just to put it out in the world too, because I think, I don't know, it was funny. Like (laughs) I don't think many people do marketing plans, which is funny. Um, And they're so important. So, yeah, I put it out because I, I wanted people to be able to see like what goes into the releasing an album and what are the kind of best in class examples of each of the different pieces, whether or not that's a partnerships or um, UCG, content, community development, or like a sales kind of initiative. Um, and it's also something that I can sh- easily share with my clients to be like, okay, you're going to start working with me. This is this is the beginning. This is what this is what to expect and what to come. Yeah. Um, but the feedback on it has been great, and what I really love is hearing kind of management, like managers being able to. It, it works. The feedback that I get is like managers are like, "This is great because I can kind of understand what the label is providing, and then check up and find out what we need to do." Or then people that are running releases completely independent. It's like very prescriptive about what you need to do at what on what timeline. So. Right. Um, it's been cool to hear that people have actually put out records using this and it's become part of their internal process, which is, which is nice to hear. Yeah. You just touched on something I think is really important and that's the timeline. Uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these things, you know, some of these artists are going to do all of these things and others, some are going to do select things and that's the beauty of all of this. It can, you can form fit it to whatever you're doing, but I believe there has to be a timeline and you have to start early so often. And I'm sure you've seen this too. People come and they have, yeah, um, I'm going to drop this release in X amount of days. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, time out. <laughs> Let's take a look at what your goals are and who your audience is and how we're going to reach that audience and grow your base and all of those things. Talk a little bit about the timeline. Where, where does it kind of start for you? Um, I think it starts about three months out is ideal. And the good thing about the checklist is that you can show when you have that response, when you've got an artist who's like, I just want to put it out next week. You're like, okay, cool. We could do that. But this is all the things that you're going to miss out on. And this is why that's detrimental to you. So I would say three months is adequate. Um, If it, if it's like a label, uh, you know, an album release at a label, I think three months because you need, and also if you don't, say if you're an international artist that doesn't have a big presence in the territory that you're trying to crack, like that takes it takes a while to figure out who are the champions that going that are going to go out for you, and then how can you serve those people? And um, if yeah. you have a big team as well, like you know, big live team, big press team, big label team, um, you know, big physical like D to C team, all those people need time to do what they need to do as well. So I'd say three months. It doesn't always happen like that. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and what kinds of things ideally would you like to see um, an artist or management or the team start to kind of think about and work on 90 days out? Uh, I would say what the story is, definitely, and what the positioning. If there's any kind of major brand building elements that need that are going to be 
integral to the campaign. Say if the artist has been off cycle for a while and they're starting it, you know, starting to develop their fan base again, or if they are trying to pivot into a different genre, or if they are aging up and they, um, you know, or if they've, you know, going from hip hop to more of a pop kind of lane or whatever it is, like if there's major like brand building that needs to be done, then though that really needs to be set out 90 days in advance because what will happen is you'll get, you know, a month out and you would have already shot, if you don't have a strategy in place and you don't have a North Star and you start creating content and you start throwing like $70,000 at a music video only to get four weeks out and be like, well, this is really off brand, then you're like... <laughs> It's not serving you, and it was a waste of money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, any kind of like brand strategy need absolutely needs to be solidified before you start executing a campaign, and that needs yeah. to happen a few days out. You sound like you really enjoy that part of it. Oh yeah, I'll, yeah, definitely. That's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, what what's kind of your favorite? campaign to launch is it a new developing artist is it an established artist or do you have kind of certain campaigns that you really look forward to digging into yeah i would say uh artists that are on their second or third album so someone that has had has a, a bit of success to begin with yeah has a base so you can do fun things with it um has had a bit of an experience and and really knows what they want uh they're always the best and then also ones that are really like creatively ambitious like creatively ambitious and are cool with taking risks and yeah. aren't afraid of um, not not afraid but uh, have an appetite for marketing because I think artists that are more difficult to to work with on the marketing side are ones that either want to play it really understated or really cool mm -hmm. that's really hard to do because there's you know there's nothing you can do to like mobilize fan armies or like you know yeah content you know all yeah. that kind of stuff so yeah the ones that are like want to make a really loud noise and make a splash and yeah they're the funnest ones to work on yeah it's hard these days for artists because you know there's so much that they could be doing and should be doing uh, and some of these things are a time suck like you know socials you know facebook twitter instagram youtube whatever it is you could if you weren't careful you could lose focus in, you know, creating the best music and the best thing for your brand and partnering with evangelists and smart people. And it's, it's really kind of a tough balance these days, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, that starts, I think there's many, many different ways to skin a cat. And <laughs> I think that you have got to play to your strengths rather than thinking about like, Oh, I'm really bad at Twitter the audience isn't really there, so I've got to get better at Twitter. I think it's really about nailing, like, who is the audience that you're going after and what is the story that you're trying to tell and then yeah. using the platforms as tools to be able to achieve those things rather yeah. than starting with, like, the whole lay of the land and being like, what are we doing on Instagram, what are we doing on YouTube, that kind of stuff. So for an artist that has, say, a global audience, YouTube is going to be really integral to their story because that's, you know, the dominant streaming platform for a lot of the rest of the world. But for an artist that, you know, maybe wants to remain more mysterious, then maybe visual places aren't like maybe Instagram's better. Or like it just it just really depends yeah. on on what kind of campaign. And then also what the creative idea is as well. Um, I think any kind of channel should be used to serve what the idea is rather than just kind of ticking the boxes because yeah then that happens you're like i have so much to do and i still 
you know, I've been in the studio writing all day and then I have to, you know, turn around and mm-hmm. post something on social media and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I find that a, a lot of artists feel like they have to do everything. And to your point just now, maybe you don't have to be dominant so. on every single platform. If you're really powerful on Instagram, man, hit that, reach that audience, grow that audience. You know, you don't have to be the master of all these things, right? You kind of have to find out, you know, who your audience is and, you know, focus on that, right? Yeah, who the audience is, where they hang out, and then have a consistent, constant presence where they are. Yeah, there's so many different tools now to reach an audience. Uh, Michael and I did a show a couple of episodes ago where we just talked about our favorite tools, you know, that that come across uh, our desks, things that we use. Uh, to either create assets or to market to folks. And um, at some point, I would love to put you on the spot and see if there were any of those, uh, you know, those kinds of tools uh, that you uh, stumble across. And I know a lot of them were in, um, I can't remember which one it was, if it was in the marketing checklist or the toolbox, but there were a lot of these kind of maybe smaller services or tools that artists can use if you're not necessarily signed to a major or if you are kind of hands-on there's so many great ways of reaching your audience or at least Mm -hmm. discovering who your audience is yeah i think the my favorite is campaign amp i use that a lot um and that's just a, a a dashboard that kind of integrates everything the reason why i like that is because you can pinpoint like down to press. So if you get a, a fader feature or like a, a blog post or something like that, you can see what the impact on streaming was, which is really nice because a lot of the times you have these conversations, which is just like press is dead. We don't need a publicist. And then you're like, <laughs> well, actually let's have a, let's see what, what works. So I think in terms of like tracking and identifying marketing that's working for you, that is a really good tool. It's not necessarily talking directly to fans, but it helps you to be able to optimize your content and your marketing. Um, Another tool I really like, again, it's not talking directly to fans, but, and it's a bit hacky, but there's a website called every noise at once. And um, it just basically, it's, it has every single genre tag on Spotify and makes these like really just, it shows you which artists are most dominant in each different genre tag. And when I'm talking about genre tags, there's 2,700 genre tags on Spotify right now. So for an artist, it's really, it's a really interesting tool because it gives you a snapshot of how streaming platforms understand you, which means how the algorithm is going to actually service your music. So if you're an international artist, say you're, yeah, if you're an international artist and all of your genre tags are like your home country, indie, your home mm-hmm. country, pop, then you're only going to be serviced in your home country, which is yeah. terrifying, especially as playlists are becoming more personalized and stuff. Yeah. Um, but then also for remixes and collaborations, I mean, that's such an important part of setting up a release. And rather than just like going for like whatever so-and-so the label likes, like yeah. – sonically you can be a bit more strategic about like what genres are you trying to penetrate who are the artists that are most dominant in that genre and then are there any is there any existing relationship or can a relationship be made to collaborate so that one's really interesting yeah and then another platform that a couple of my clients have had success on is community which is a text messaging app um service and 
they've had a really, really good, um, yeah, that's been really good in terms of speaking directly to fans because the open rate and the engagement on text is just so much bigger than, um, or so much, sorry, I should say so much stronger than uh, social media, but it is very much talking to your like super, super core fan base. So it's just much smaller. And that's via text messaging? Via text messaging, yeah. Yeah. Have you used any of the things like, MCAST or bot letter or any of those that use your Facebook messenger? Oh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I used to use a service. I cannot. We're getting I, really good I-pop open rates. IPOP? Yeah. Or pop. pop yeah. Something or other. I, <laughs> I haven't done that message. I haven't done a bot campaign in a minute. Yeah. But yeah, they were, they were effective. I remember when doing it. Yeah. That. And maybe they'll get too much at some point but right now it seems like you know the open rates and click-through rates are are really really good and you touched on campaign amp you turned me on to campaign amp and i got a demo of that and it's it's really impressive and and for those who haven't had a chance to kind of get under the hood there are a lot of cool services where you can kind of aggregate all of your you know your socials and your streams and see what kind of playlists you've been added to and taken off of and see trends um, you know, there's uh, chart metric is really good. Sound mm. charts is really good. And it has radio, um, mm. which is great. But I think I've never seen anything like campaign app because it can integrate into your own systems. Right. And it's just it's a wealth of information. I don't know if it's necessarily appropriate for a DIY artist. No, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to play at a higher level, uh, certainly, yeah, and I appreciate you telling me about that. So as you kind of move forward, you know, you're 90 days out, you know, you've you've kind of figured out who, you know, your audience is and you've kind of done an audit of, you know, uh, where you sit in the marketplace and you're starting to put together a marketing plan. And to your point, it, it surprises me how few people take the time you know, to do a marketing plan or they do a marketing plan early on and then it's set for life. Shouldn't, mm. shouldn't it be kind of a fluid kind of Living, keep everybody on the same page? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're putting all those things together and, you know, we could get into the minutia, but some of the higher level things, I'd love to hear what you think about um, branding and especially with artists and all the different properties that they have because... Um, you know, I do photography mm-hmm. and I believe that when you look at an image of an artist, you should be able to hear the music. You yeah. know, you look at that and you go, wow, that's an EDM artist or that's a, you know, a country artist or whatever. I believe that that's a powerful, powerful thing. Do you get involved with working with artists kind of on two levels, a their own branding and then kind of partnering with other folks? Yep. Yeah, I partner usually with a creative director that can help, um, especially on the art direction and also assembling a team of appropriate photographers and stylists and choreographers and videographers and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think from 90 days out, the net, or once you've done the branding elements and you've got that North Star, the next phase is creative and coming up with some, you know, bigger campaign ideas that, um, highly shareable and highly PRable, and that also ladder up to the strategy. Um, and then also, if you know, if in part of the strategy phase you identify that Instagram's really important, so then 
in the creative phase, you want to be figuring out like what is an evergreen content strategy that has, you know, creative, engaging, episodic style, um, yeah, like content ideas. And so that is usually done with the artists and their teams. Um, and then also partnerships. So once you have those creative ideas, which partners make sense to amplify those? So brand partners, media partners, influencers, um, you know, who who is, you know, kind of on on theme, um, yeah. on strategy. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned something that I hear in meetings more and more now. The role of creative director has gone from kind of in the shadows to now, you know, they're at the big kid table now because speak to that a little bit. I mean, how important is it to have a creative director and what does a creative director even do? Yeah. So a creative director is a person that is an ally to the artist in everything kind of visual. And so what they're able to do is take kind of the strategy and the goals and be able to identify like what it should look like. And I think the reason why creative directors are becoming more popular could be twofold. One is that music is so visual. Like I I would almost argue visuals are more important now than they've ever been before because Instagram and YouTube are such predominant um, or such, sorry, dominant methods of music discovery and they're both visual. And then having a consistency across all of your, um, you know, all of your platforms and all your visuals and all your content is really important. But then also the success on those platforms require constantly feeding the the beast (laughs) and so you're producing a lot more visual assets than you ever have before whereas maybe you would be able to just do like a vinyl spread and like a high level photo shoot and that could last you six months but now you can't really do that so I think there is a real need to have a consistent visual identity across everything that you do which is what a creative director does so they can come in and they can be like okay our goals is to move this into a more like a sultry moody kind of space you should work with these five people to create that um this is what the styling should look like the mood the colors um yeah photographers all that kind of stuff um but then i think also what has helped the creative director is there's you know in the past couple of years there's been quite a few high profile creative directors that have um those stories like Rihanna's creative director and Kanye's creative director, Frank Ocean's. So um, I think a lot of people, well, younger people are aspiring to be a creative director and um, artists are using them more and more. And I, I honestly, I see the value of them a lot. Like a good creative director can, can really, really help. But yeah. uh, if you're an emerging artist, that's not someone on your team that you're going to need right away. Yeah. And that would cover video as well, right? Not just still yeah. images. Yeah, video, uh, merch, vinyl packaging, like physical packaging, album artwork, any video content, social media skins, um, advert like ad banners. Yeah. Anything visual that a can like any touch point that a consumer is going to have in your music, a creative director will be over the top to push the artist creatively, um, gotcha. and then also give them the resources. And, and the ideas to bring it to life. Yeah. I, I find that, and I'd, I'd love to see if you're seeing this too, I'm finding at kind of the indie level that a lot of these artists and management are moving away from concept videos and starting to do more of a strategy where they 
lay things out week by week leading up to a release and it might start with a pseudo video or a lyric video and maybe a teaser or some kind of then there might be a stripped down version but they're instead of having one big thing that they paid a ton of money for they use that money and create more assets and they're finding that they're getting more engagements and i'm not sure if that's true across you know uh, all platforms but are, are you seeing some of that as well yeah, I think there's more of a need to sustain interest in an, a track after it's released as well. So before it would be teasing, teasing, putting something out and then letting that ride, like riding that wave. Yeah. Whereas in order to keep things in playlists or on radio, you need to be adding more to the story, which means adding more content. So, yeah, yeah I think that people, people are ask, I, I think people are asking more for that. Yeah, I I hear the term always on. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the new buzzword at meetings is like we've like you said, you got to continue to feed that beast. You know, it used to be that you would release an album and then maybe 18 months later you'd release another album and you'd just tour off of those things, but now people are afraid and maybe rightly so that they're going to lose their audience if they don't continually remind them and rise above the clutter and keep things in the marketplace. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Which I think is, yeah, very true. I think that artists that go off cycle now uh, in a really, really bad position to be releasing new music when they come back on cycle. I mean, some artists, I, I, you know, the legendary artists that have built a big fan base and, yeah. and, have, and have risen up before social media, uh-huh. I think, get away with being able to, like, go on and off cycle. But... I don't know that there's any artist that's broken in today in you know in today's era of social media that hasn't been that hasn't constantly been on. Yeah. 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 You mentioned um North Star. Um define what you mean by that for the folks that are watching. Yeah, I that's just one word or one phrase that everything letters up to. So if you think about the strongest, the artists with the strongest brands, they generally are known for something. Even if you haven't heard of their music, you know what they're known for. So like Lizzo and Body Positivity is a good example. Or yeah. like um, Mad Decent and Global Parties or um, Ed Sheeran is like songs you get married to. Or, <laughs> you know, there's like artists, yeah, the strongest brands have that kind of, that one singular um idea that everything stems from so if you look at lizzo the way she dresses on stage the videos the album artwork being shot entirely naked um right you know every everything that she does is championing this idea of body positivity yeah to the point where you don't even really yeah you don't even need to really listen to the album you see and you're like oh i know what i know exactly what this is about yeah, um, and then it becomes part of a community that you're a part of as well as the music, right? It's aspirational. Yeah. It's something you believe in. It's, yeah, community. And, and cohesiveness as well. So if, mm-hmm. if a brand, like a strong brand is cohesive, it reinforces the same idea over and over again. Like if you think of Nike, theirs is inner athlete. It's all about unleashing the inner athlete. And so in order to get the most value out of your marketing assets – should be always moving to that North star should like set the creative, almost like the creative constraints of where everybody operates within that should set like what playlists that you try and target and what, um, like what the 
the colours of the album are and the the videos and the things that you talk about in the press and uh, the partnerships that you have. So it all ladders up to this one singular idea which keeps reinforcing the idea of the artist and the artist brand. Yeah, and I would imagine that if you communicated that to your team, your street team, your friends and family, PR, sync, everybody that's involved with you, if they're all on that same page with that North Star, no matter who they talk to, then it becomes amplified and even more powerful, right? Yeah. If everybody's kind of on the same page with that. It also becomes a lot easier too because when you set that North Star, then it's really easy to come up with ideas because you're like, okay, body positivity. What is all uh, the things that I can do with body positivity? All right, recipes, um, nudity, like beautiful shots, real women. Like it's just that it, things become a lot easier when you have a blank sheet of paper and you can do whatever you want with the artist. Yeah. That's when things become really hard. And then also having that North Star eliminates um some of the like ego out of ideas as well because you could automatically have a criteria that says like does it ladder up to body positivity is it on brand off brand okay no that's not a good idea even if it came from like the most senior person in the room you know yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense i wanted to ask you uh, you know we we talk a lot uh, about some of the challenges that we have and uh, michael and i were uh, speaking recently about one of the things that is really a challenge for us is when we want it more than a client does. If they're not willing to work, you know, if they're either lazy or disengaged or they're just not willing, you know, to roll up their sleeves because we believe that, you know, being an artist, being a musician isn't what you do. It's, it's who you are. It's mm -hmm. you know, part of your fiber. Um, I was wondering if maybe I could put you on the spot to talk about are, are there any situations that, you know, you run into that are really challenging, any hurdles that you have to get over when you're dealing with an artist um, that people could kind of learn from? Yeah, I think agreeableness is really difficult. So when someone's like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> idea. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. Then that's really hard because you're like, you you never know what they actually really want. I think as a as a independent person who works for artists, my job is to make sure that whatever they want to do and put out in the world happens. And uh -huh. if you don't know what that is and then and they agree with everything, then you, they're never going to be super happy. The yeah. easiest artists to work with are like, I want Pitchfork to care about me. And you're like, okay, great. All right. That means you just get a really like, sick publicist on it and yeah. we'll start being super old and like you know it it, it, it things become easier or if you're like they're like i want to be famous i want to be really really big and you're like oh, great then everything's about <laughs> like you know but but when someone's like yeah that's a good idea um then that can be really challenging i think right because people have different needs right like i deal with some jazz artists that they make their living on the road and they care about accolades they just, mm. they just do. And, yeah. and that's a big thing. And then I, I, I work with some artists that it's all about putting butts in the seats. I'm playing this level of hall. I want to play this level of hall. How yeah. do we grow that in these markets? So I imagine it's challenging for you because isn't every client, every artist really a starting from scratch kind of different? Mm. No? Oh, what do you mean, what do you like, mean by that? Like each one has their own different needs. 
you know, their own different goals, their own, like we were just talking about, you know, someone who's just very agreeable. It's yeah. hard to kind of nail them down. But when you work with somebody who kind of knows what they want or knows what that North Star is, it's it makes it easier for you. But you still have to do the due diligence for each artist that you work with because they're not, it's not a cookie cutter approach, I guess is what I'm saying. No. And I think in that first kickoff meeting that you have with an artist and you, you go down the list of 21 questions and you really dial into what they want, then that becomes pretty evident in that initial meeting. Yeah. And, and generally they are different. And I think that's the point too, because not every art, like when, when you're in music and you're dealing with artist brands and people and they're all different and, as opposed to like walking in the grocery store and you've got all the same types of milks kind of thing. And so um, they should be different. They should be marketed specifically to who they are and what they want to achieve and who listens to them and who should listen to them. Um, and that also keeps it keeps things interesting too. Like yeah. an EDM artist shouldn't be handed the same marketing plan that a rock act got 20, right. 20 minutes ago. You know? Right, right. It sounds like you really enjoy what you do. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, you and I, we, we could talk for hours and hours about this. In fact, we have. But um, I, I would love, there's three things that you've produced that I think are so helpful for people. One, you just kind of talked about the 21 questions. And then there's the, the uh, marketing checklist, the bases get aces. And then the music marketers toolbox. Um, with your permission, I'll share those in the show notes and people can go uh, take a look at it. But where can people where can people find you and learn more about you and, and read your writings and where can people reach you? Yeah, um, so I have a newsletter called Deep Cuts that's all about marketing strategy, music marketing strategy, and that you can subscribe to online. I think the link is on my Twitter bio. So uh, you can get me on Twitter at Amber Horsbra um, and then also hit me up on email amber at deepcuts.co um yeah awesome amber i've been trying to get you to come on this podcast for a while and i know our schedules haven't worked out but thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to talk with us and uh i hope to talk soon 